LWAG Talks is Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery's new podcast, bringing you insights and ideas with artists, curators, educators, writers, and more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever and whenever the time may be, uh, where you are at the moment. Brendan, Victor and I, uh, Zara, we're here today uh, to speak to the director of the Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery at UWA. And we form, um, the, we form the committee and we are part of the committee of the Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery um, Student Advisory Committee. And we're very honoured to be able to share with you some details about our director's life that you probably haven't been exposed to just yet looking at his personal story, as well as his role within the gallery and some future projects. You know, if you want to hear about that, keep listening. Hi, Ted. My name is Brendan. I'm a sixth year engineering student at the uni, and so I'm doing chemical engineering. And I just, I was at the volunteer fair where I saw Megan and her stall for the um, student advisory committee, and I thought it would be a good idea to look into things that are outside of my, because I'm part of engineering clubs and things like that. But yeah, I've been to the gallery a couple of times and I enjoy my time there, so um, I thought it would be a good idea. That's fantastic. And engineering students are what he's list. They say, and how many engineering students are coming to the gallery? <laughs> one, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a start, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Zara. I'm currently, um, I just finished my last unit in my bachelor's degree. Um, I was doing uh, a Bachelor of Biomedical Science, majoring in Pharmacology and English and Cultural Studies. Um, and I'm launching into honours in English in semester two. Oh, wow. Basically, I heard about the LWAG Advisory Committee when I was doing the Employability Awards, so that was a suggestion, so I thought, why not? And I jumped on board. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Victor. I'm in my third year of studying music. I'm going into my final semester, and I specialise in composition. I'm, I became interested in the gallery because my first ever performance of a work, of one of my works publicly, was in the gallery. And after that, I just kept going to the gallery, I guess, and I became interested in the gallery and now I'm part of the committee. Fantastic. Was that part of the um, Memento Mori project? No, it wasn't. I think mine was after that, yeah. I'd love to talk to you about another project that I've been trying to get your lecturers interested in, which is to create music for the toilets, because our toilets, as you know, are pretty awful. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have an audio environment that we're that would make them a much more special place. So maybe we can chat. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Okay, I guess we'll start off by asking Ted to introduce himself to us. We know that you're the director of the UWA Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery, but um, is there more to you than meets the eye? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I, I hope so. Um, I, I guess I've been involved in the arts pretty much all my life. Um, I'm a writer. I am also a I have a studio practice. I won't say I'm a painter because I understand what it means to be a painter and it means to be very dedicated, to spend a lot of time and to have a real commitment to your practice. And unfortunately, because of all the other things I do, I don't have that. But I do like to continue to work in my studio as well. Uh, and I like to be involved in the community as much as possible, improving the situation both for artists and for the community and its ability to be able to engage with art. So, yeah. That's me. We thought we'll start off by learning more about your um, personal story. Um, and the first question we had is, what got you interested in art in the first place? 
Brendan, I think the thing that, unfortunately, it was being sick, because I was quite sick as a kid. I had asthma, and I spent a lot of time away from school and at home. And when I was at home, I just drew and drew and drew. Um, and it was just a passion to record the world around me. Uh, and I turned my bedroom into a studio. Um, and I managed to get, save up, and I got a couple of tubes of oil paint. And I had some terps and some linseed oil. So it was an absolutely toxic environment. I can't believe my parents allowed it. But anyway, I created this little studio. And then when I think I was about probably nine, eight or nine, possibly 10, I said to my mother that I, and my, my mother and father, I really want to go to the Art Gallery of Western Australia. I really want to go there. It took a long time to convince them. But on one Saturday, my mum said, come on, we're going to the gallery. And I said, oh, isn't dad coming? No, no, just you and me. So we went in. And it was fantastic, you know, all these artworks that I'd never seen before, including this fabulous Russell Drysdale of an Aboriginal boy holding a lizard and it was on this vermilion red background. And I thought it was just the best thing I'd ever seen. And my mum my said, well, would you like this little book? Because they're selling this little book for one and sixpence. And I went, oh, yeah. So I took it home. That was the beginning of my library, which now spreads over several rooms in the house. But I still have that book. And when I got home, my dad, I'm getting emotional, but my dad had made me an easel. He had stayed home and worked in his woodwork shop at the back of the house and he'd made this easel. So at the end of that day, I had my first library. My studio was set up with an easel and I'd been to the art gallery and understood what the fantastic potential of a space like that, which could introduce people to the joys of, of the visual arts was actually like. So yeah, that was a pretty special day. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Um, I guess so it was just the profound impact that the art had on you that you felt that you could give to other people. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the things that has guided me. I've always thought, you know, I want other people to have that opportunity. Uh, it's it's. I was very lucky, very very fortunate. I had parents who were supportive, and I had the opportunity to go to places like the Art Gallery of Western Australia. Funny and odd and weird in those days because it was part of the old museum building on Beaufort Street and it was a very odd little building. But nevertheless, it was full of all these incredible riches. So, um, yeah, I think it has. It has definitely been the motivating force of my life to make as many people as possible to give them the opportunity uh, to see art and to enjoy it and to think about it and for it to change their lives. Yeah, that, that's great. Now we have an idea of like a beginnings with art and how this shaped your philosophy. Um, in terms of a career, was there like a breakthrough moment with the arts? Well, I, I did quite well in the leaving. That's um, what they now, what is now ATAR. So I did quite well and I got a Commonwealth scholarship to come to UWA, in fact. And I had, uh, had very good marks in certain subjects, sort of quite to the top of the state. And I said to my mum and dad, I don't want to go to UWA because they don't teach art. So I want to go to teacher's college uh, because I knew I could do an art course. And my dad, I've never seen him so crestfallen. He was so proud that I'd got into UWA and just couldn't believe that I didn't want to go there. So I did go to teacher's college. I did do the art course and I became an art teacher. Um, and I've decided that I wanted to continue studying, that as soon as the course was over, because it was the government, you had to go out into the country, generally speaking. 
Um, and there was this absolutely horrible moment when they used to have an assembly at the end of the year and everybody would go up onto the, and they'd be called up, you know, Zaha, come up, you're going to Widgie Multha. And you would burst into tears and fall about and people would take you off the stage. And, and I went, nah, I don't do that. So I wrote to every private school in the state and said, if you want a young teacher who's very enthusiastic and will commit totally, I'm your man. And I'm pleased to say that Christchurch Grammar School said that was fine. So I went and worked at Christchurch and continued and did further study. And then I got um, a scholarship to go to the UK. And I chose Birmingham because they had a very well-known arts education program. Um, I completed that, came back to Western Australia. And on the boat coming back, in fact, I came back on a, on a boat, wasn't a luxury boat by any means, but I came back and I had sent an email. I don't know, it wasn't an email, good grief, there was no such thing. Sent a letter to the head of the school at uh, Curtin University, and it was wait at that stage, saying, I'm coming back and if you have a job, that would be fantastic. And when I got back, my mum and dad were waiting on the thing, waving a, a piece of paper saying I had a job. Uh, <laughs> so I have been blessed and so lucky in so many ways, but that's how I, and then I decided I needed a, a further qualification. So then I later sort of enrolled in a PhD. But um, so that's, that's my academic history, you know, very potted form. Great. So it's kind of a deviation from uh, the norm of, you know, doing a bachelor's degree and then going to postgraduate. Um, I guess this leads to Zara's question. What challenges or rewards did you face um, with that particular educational pathway that you decided to follow? And would you do it again if you had the chance to? Things are, I've often thought of that. I, I wondered what it would have been like if I'd come to UWA, particularly in retrospect, because I realised how much visual arts was going on here how many really exciting, interesting lecturers there were who were also artists. And at the time that I could have come here, it was a very exciting place, UWA. And there was a huge increase in the, in the, in the facilities for the arts. The Octagon Theatre was built. Um, the New Fortune Theatre had just been built as part of the new arts building. Uh, there was an exhibition gallery space in the Undercroft. I mean, if I'd come to UWA and gone through the normal route of doing and probably being involved with the Guild and, and then going on to do a postgraduate qualification PhD, I don't know. Look, as it was, it was a strange, circuitous sort of route. I needed to have a job. So I guess I, I, the very first thing I wanted to do was to get some employment and earn some money. And I also wanted to go overseas. And so that was um, very important to me. So... Yeah, I don't know. I think every, ta every route you take has forks that you wonder what might have happened had you taken them. But you really just got to keep going in the direction that you feel is right at the time. And there's no point in looking back over your shoulder. That's a lot of wisdom you've got there that you've shared with us as well, um, especially since a lot of our viewers are currently at that fork. Um, and uh, with the current situation, wondering how university is going to work out for them as well. Um, but it's, it's quite inspiring to see someone who's taken um, an educational pathway that's a little bit different. Thank you. So, Ted, you mentioned that you had a scholarship in Birmingham and then you returned back to WA. 
I'm wondering what it is about, is there something specific about WA that attracted you back to it? Or was it just a logistical sort of decision that you had to make? That's a very interesting question, Brent. And I ask myself that all the time because I have focused most of my um, scholastic academic career around Western Australian art and Western Australian art practice. Many years ago, uh, Daniel Thomas, who was the uh, curator of Australian art at the National Gallery of Australia and then the director of the um, Adelaide uh, Art Gallery, uh, Art Gallery of South Australia, once said that he'd gone back to Tasmania because it's really important when you're walking down a street to know which tree was there when you were a boy and which house had been pulled down and where that person lived. And I think I have that very much here in, in Western Australia. I like the sense of being rooted in this place. I like knowing what has happened in the past. I like thinking about how that might have influenced what's happening currently. So I came back because obviously my parents were here, and, but I came back because this really was home for me. And um, I was born in Geraldton, in fact. Uh, and I, when I go back to Geraldton, I have that an even greater sense of rootedness. You know, I, I walk along streets that my dad would have walked uh, along and I just go, wow, this is extraordinary. You know, this is, this is my place. Yeah. So because of you sort of growing up here, it really, you had a bond with just the, the region itself. Now I understand that. Yeah. yeah. And also the myths that, that grow around, you know, the place. So people say it's isolated. It's not isolated. You know? um, there's so many benefits that come from being where we are. One of them is an incredible sense of of just getting out and doing it you know you have to do it on your own here because no one else is going to do it for you so you really feel this urgency to get on and do things and when your ideas come you don't actually necessarily get them right right from the horse's mouth so you have to reinvent them for yourself to think about what those ideas might mean in your in the context of who you are and where you are and i think australian west australian artists in particular um, have done that for centuries and probably even longer because, of course, Aboriginal people had the same issues, that they were based here and ideas came in, but they had to make those ideas fit to this place. I like that the region itself has contributed so much to, you know, your identity. So you somewhat alluded to this before, but to what extent has your artistic flair expanded beyond the visual arts? Because obviously you have a large influence um, on the visual arts. Uh, Probably not that far, Victor. I'd like to think it, it went further. My son is a musician and, uh, and manages bands and is based in Los Angeles. So that's, <laughs> that's some sort of dipping my toe in other areas. I was involved in a theatre company in Western Australia for a while. I tend to, because I was on the Australia Council for the Arts, I was the chair of the Visual Arts Board. But part of the conversations that we had every day when we had um, board meetings was about, of course, all of the arts and how all of the arts are affected and impacted by government policy, by current situation. So it was wonderful working with some extraordinary um, people who were uh, really key figures in their own arts disciplines. So I have, I guess, been involved at a, at a national level at a more broader base. But I've also understood that my area of expertise is really in one area and I should keep you know, I shouldn't be just speaking out on larger topics just because I have the opportunity to. I should, I should keep my, my commentary to those things that I actually do know something about. That makes sense. Thanks. Well, we definitely know that art has flowed through your veins and um, it's definitely been passed on um, in the family. 
which is something to be proud of as well. Um, it's been lovely hearing about your personal life, um, but we did want to ask you a little bit about your role within the gallery itself. Um, so what sort of responsibilities do you possess um, in relation to the gallery um, in terms of your everyday sort of going about being a director? I think the main thing is to make sure that the team is all working closely together and trying to achieve the goals that we have set ourselves. We're a very small team. Everybody has their own area of expertise and we need to make sure that we reach out and achieve as much as possible for the university, for our local community, for the students, for the staff on campus. And that's not an easy task, particularly at the moment in the current situation that we're facing, but it's never been all that easy for the arts. Um, so my responsibility is really to make sure that we have a fantastic and vital program of exhibitions, that we link into the teaching and research life of the university, that we reach out to the broader community so that we open our doors to our expanded community to provide some access to the incredibly rich and vibrant visual arts of Western Australia. And a very important area is that we also reach out to students in high school and also primary school. And we have a, a, a really important component of what we do, one project called Art in a Box. We send art out, out, out to schools because a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to come into the gallery. So we put art in a box, literally send it out to um, to school so that kids can unpack it and have the experience of working with actual artworks um, within their classroom. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderfully rich um, role that I have and I'm very, very delighted and thrilled to have it. I must say, I feel very, very fortunate. That's fantastic to hear. And I love how you focused a lot on community engagement as well, um, as well as work within the gallery itself, which is lovely, and making sure the community in WA is very interconnected. Yeah, um, yeah. thanks for telling us about sort of what your responsibilities are as a director. What would you say that you um, get the most enjoyment out of in your role? Oh, the best thing always is working with artists. Um, the great excitement about working in a gallery is that you can give artists the opportunity of showing their work to a wider audience. And every artist is different. Every artist has a fantastic idea about what they want to do, what they have done. Um, talking to them about their work, talking to about their aspirations and how they would like their work presented. It's just the best thing. Uh, there's nothing better than going into an artist studio and to have the incredible privilege of them showing you what they've been working on and then discussing how is the best possible way of presenting that to an audience. Nothing beats it. I'm sure that there are many students listening to this. So for them, why is the gallery important to them? Why should they come to the gallery, in your opinion? Many years ago, when uh, Alan Robson was the Vice-Chancellor at UWA, he always used to say, if you've come to UWA and gone away with a degree, you, you really haven't taken advantage of all the options that are there. If all you get is a degree, then you've missed out. And I think one of the things that we give to people, because there is a gallery on campus, is the incredible breadth of experience of knowing what the world is and how the world is interpreted by different people and the great richness of opportunity that is there. So the visual arts and music and theater, the arts in their broadest form, give you a new dimension on the world and enable you to see not only your world differently, but the world from other people's perspective, to give you that sense that how you will engage with other people. We have a, a wonderful colleague called Sue Boyd, who was the, um, 
ambassador in Vietnam. And she tells this amazing story about uh, some businessmen who came up to Vietnam and said, would you introduce us to the local business, business people? And she and said, sure. So this guy came up and she organized a dinner and they're all sitting around the table. And the first thing they said was, tell me about your family. I said, oh, I have a child, I have two children. Oh, you are blessed. And the son, oh, this is wonderful. And your wife, yes. And your parents, my father's dead. Oh, we're so sorry. And my mother, my mum's great. She lives on her own. We see her, you know, at least twice a year. Um, she's very healthy. She's about 90. Yeah, she's cool. She's good. <laughs> All of a sudden, how could these, why would they, why would they want to deal with somebody who's such a monster and deals with his mother in such an appalling way for a culture that really respects the elderly? This was a complete disaster. If that chap had watched any Vietnamese films, if he had looked at any paintings, if he had looked at photography in Vietnam, if he'd seen anything to do with the culture of Vietnam, he would have known that that was not the way to get into an engagement with a group of, of people who have a deep respect for, um, for their elderly. So I've, I've told that story on numerous occasions just because I mean, at the most base level, if somebody says, look, I'm a business student, why on earth would I be interested in the arts? That's one of the reasons to be involved because your business is gonna go nowhere if you don't understand the culture of the people that you're working with. And the best way to understand the culture of your colleagues is to be able to share that experience by looking at the art that, that um, has nurtured, uh, that is nurturing their culture. That, that mantra you mentioned about uh, going beyond the degree is still ingrained in UWA. And yeah, so I guess what you're saying is that the gallery provides uh, a wide range of perspectives of humanity. And through this, we can understand and relate to a wider array of diversities in humanity. And thus we can uh, relate and communicate better with other people. Indeed, great. because I think there is this area of respect. I mean, if you go into a gallery and you see the work, you, th you say, ah, now I sort of think I understand. And you respect and you have an understanding of that, where that person is coming from. So it's not just that, because I, I realised that it might have just sounded a minute ago that it's a very manipulative way that you, know, you look at somebody's culture and then you, you, you work out how to do business with them. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is... There is a respectful relationship if you understand the culture of another individual and you know where they're coming from and how they're seeing the world. That enables you to have a deeper and a richer experience with them. And, and art's sort of the only real, really real way to do that. You can't read scientific literature or articles or, you know, just learning about the people themselves. You really have to learn about who they are as a culture through, through their artistic um, expression. Yeah. And it, it, what it does is it builds empathy. And I think empathy is the most important human emotion. And the more empathy we have, the greater chance we have of making the world a better place. That's an interesting discussion to be had about that, for sure. <laughs> I'm sure art will continue to be relevant in every time and place. Um, the more we think about it and the more we immerse ourselves in art, I feel like the more we find out about how much it just benefits us. Um, so much more than, than just viewing an image or um, a piece of artwork. Um, and that brings us to our next question. Um, what exhibitions do you believe have been the most popular so far with students? Is there any that sort of comes to mind straight away? Uh, we did have an exhibition, which I mentioned before when Victor was talking to me about the music that he, he's uh, composed and played in the gallery. We had an exhibition called Memento Mori. Um, Mento Mori, as you, 
I'm sure know is that is about thinking about death. So remember, we will all die. So be aware of the world that is your life as it is now, and and but always be conscious that you know it will end at some point. So we had an exhibition. We had a group of students from the School of Music who all composed a piece of music which we played in the gallery space, and we recorded it on a CD which was available that people could buy. We had this amazing um, video by um, a Russian group of artists called A E S and F, um, called um, Allegoria Sacra, um, which was about um, it was a, a really a sort of an allegory based on on a 15th century painting, um, and it was a the most extraordinary, beautiful visual uh, experience. You walked into the gallery, and on 16 and a half meters of wall, there was this huge, bigger than life size tableau playing out. It was really amazing. And then we had other works by other West Australian artists in the other galleries, and that did draw an enormous group of students who I think probably had never been into the gallery before because the experience of standing in that space, listening to that music, being engaged with those ideas, of course, obviously the big ideas, life and death and, and how you cope with the space in between, um, really did have a, a, a fantastic impact. It kind of reminds me of um, a particular unit I did at UWA where we looked at love and death in the Renaissance. It, it sort of brings those vibes of um, the two main concerns I feel uh, for humanity um, that continue to be um, entrenched and um, thematically produced in, in artwork. Um, it's interesting that that particular one was um, interesting for students who most people believe are at the very beginning of their lives. So I find that quite ironic. But think how many skulls they have on their t-shirts. <laughs> um, yeah, that was. Uh, thanks for telling us about you know what you sort of what you do with the gallery, um, what you enjoy about what you do at the gallery, and what you feel the students who attended the gallery have enjoyed the most as well. Um, we'd like to now talk about sort of your uh, the future of the gallery and your future plans as well. Um, so first off. Uh, the gallery has had a massive refresh with respect to the uh, website that people are able to access. Um, so what are your thoughts on it? Or do you have any yeah, comments on, on the new website that's been launched? Look, I mean, we'll all look back on COVID-19 with different, <laughs> through different lenses and, and it will be a horrible period to remember as it has been. But we'll also, hopefully, we can use this opportunity to look at what are the positives that have come out of it. And I must say, one of the positives that have come out of for the Lawrence Wilson has been the incredible increase in the amount of digital material that we've now got up on our website. Thanks to Megan Hyde, who is our extraordinary audience development manager. But we have now got a new website. It's refreshed and it has a lot of digital content so that people who can't get to the gallery are able to see the fantastic exhibitions that we have, the talks that have been generated through them in public programs, and the activities that have gone on in association with that exhibition program. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did a few things um, digitally and it was amazing how many people wrote in, not, not a lot of people, but a few people who had never been able to get to the gallery because of either mental health issues or physical things. So that sense of accessibility um, 
was all of a sudden changed because of the digital material that we were able to provide for them. So I think that online stuff has been fantastic and, I, and we have done an enormous work. Uh, uh, there's been an enormous amount of work done in that area and it's, that's very exciting. In terms of how COVID-19 will affect us in the long term, I'm really hoping that we will allow it as an opportunity to rethink what we've been doing. Now, there's been particularly in the arts around the country and particularly in the visual arts, there's been this idea that anything that it comes from outside is instantly valuable, important and necessary and has to be given absolutely forefront um, all of the resources and all of the energy and commitment. So the big blockbuster exhibitions that come to galleries, um, anybody who's from overseas immediately gets a huge exhibition budget. And I'm hoping that we now think, no, hang on a second. We can rethink that. We have fabulous artists here. We should be promoting local artists to a local audience. Yes, of course, we don't want to put our heads in a bag and say that nothing exists outside. But we are so connected now through the internet and through all the other forms of communication. We should take this opportunity of saying, we perhaps need to focus a little bit more locally and to use this opportunity to say, this is really where we should put our energy. Yeah, I, I think that that sounds like a, a good idea. I also, yeah, it's it's really cool that, you know, we have the internet and we have digital technology that in it, like how much worse might things have been if we weren't able to connect the way we have been so, so much uh, during this time when we haven't been able to, you know, connect physically. So, yeah, I, I actually don't know where that idea is going uh, exactly. <laughs> right. um, it's, it's so interesting. The arts are always the very first area to be cut because it's people's, you know, the the a casual the the uh, the funding that they have, which is not committed to sort of everyday life. So immediately it cuts. But also government funding is cut. Uh, no one went to concerts. No one went to the theatre. The theatres and galleries were closed. So all of a sudden we've we've cut the arts to a level which is appalling. But we all know that the one thing that we need in a time of crisis is a sense of reassurance of connectedness of engagement and that's what the arts provide so it's it's always a, a critical time moments of crisis are a critical time for the arts i think the arts have done extraordinarily well in this moment and i think that we have made a contribution to that through the the work that megan's been doing um through the through the website and through the online materials um, and i hope we can continue um, to do that and i hope that people will understand that the arts are not just a good weather, fine weather, you know, good times um, um, investment. They're an investment we need to make all the time. Those are some great points. Touched upon how you're um, happy about this online engagement and how it will improve accessibility. But at the same time, I'm sure you're um, you're desiring for you know face-to-face -face events to come back. Victor, I think one of the interesting things though about digital is it always drives visitation. Uh, they discovered years ago that if you put something out online or you, you give people access to it in a book, they will turn up to see it. Years and years ago, one of the very cleverest things that the Art Institute of Chicago did was to give license to reprint any of the artworks in their collection without a fee. And so if you said you wanted to put an artwork by Syrah up on the, on the web or, or publish it, not, well, one of those, it was publishing it in a book, they would just send you high-res copies of photographs and say, go for it, but just acknowledge where it is. The Art Institute of Chicago has this massive visitation because people want to see 
um, that uh, painting by Syrah or uh, that painting by Goya because that's the one they remember in the book. So I think we'll find that people will want to come onto to campus to see and to experience and engage with the actual artworks much more so than they would have previously even. I guess in relation to that, are there any future endeavours of the gallery that you are especially excited for? Oh, well, the next exhibition is always the most exciting. <laughs> and we've got a fantastic series of exhibitions, two exhibitions which are looking at queer culture in Western Australia. Uh, one is a historical work actually by a young um, Melbourne-based artist called Drew Pettifer, and he's exploring a sorrowful act, where very, very, the first recorded um, trial uh, for homosexuality in Australia, which was done on a Dutch ship in uh, 1627, and the two boys who were found guilty were put on separate islands to die. So it's a, it's a terrible story, and he's created an exhibition which documents this story. The other exhibition is Here and Now 20, which is curated by Brent Harrison, and he's looking at contemporary West Australian queer artists and what they're doing, what, how they're creating their work in relation to the situation that they're experiencing currently. So they're pretty exciting exhibitions that bring up a lot of very current issues and are very important uh, for the student audience. We've got the LGBTQI plus working group um, working with us um, as our campus partners. So yeah, it's always the current exhibition. <laughs> That's always the most exciting. Awesome. Uh, definitely wouldn't want to miss that. Quite recently, we were also um, saddened by the news of the passing of Ross Seaton. Um, what has he contributed to the gallery and how do you think um, creating a digital uh, exhibition of his work is going to have um, an effect on the community itself, especially the Netherlands community as well? Oh, Zara, that's... Well, we haven't... Ross hasn't really done anything in the gallery up until date. We've been working with him. I've been working with him for a period of about four years. Um, when I say working with him for the first two years, it was simply going up and him turning his back on me and me <laughs> walking away. Um, it took a long time to, to actually get him to communicate. Um, and then towards the end of his life, he was very excited about the idea of us um, showcasing his work. Unfortunately, of course, he died before we had a chance to show him the work in the gallery or in, indeed to talk to him really at length about his work. But what surprised me is, as you say, the local community. And I put up a little post, a little Vale Ross on Instagram, and there were something like a hundred and something hits, uh, something a hundred comments and about 500 hits within a few days. So many people knew about Ross, knew how he, his presence changed the world for them. The fact that this guy existed was important to them. And so I think it's going to be wonderful to be able to give them a little bit more information about Ross and to tell them how he was hoping to find the algorithm that would link all the information in the world together and give us a sense of why we are who we are. Not a bad effort for a, <laughs> a guy working <laughs> in Netherlands solving um, the great question of who we are, why we are and why we're here. We're just really excited about the, the prospect of um, creating his um, exhibition digitally as well, um, because I'm, uh, to my understanding, I don't think he was expecting it to be digital either. No, he wasn't. And, and in fact, we, were, we do have some of his works that we would have shown, but of course the gallery had to be closed uh, for 
um, well, it'll be closed for about five months, in fact, by the time it reopens again. And so we, we missed the opportunity to actually have a gallery space for him. So we are going to have to present it digitally. We are looking at some other options where we might find another venue to show some of the work, um, which I'm hoping will come off. But yeah, uh, no, he wouldn't, he didn't know, but he did say to me towards the end, he, he, he phoned me from hospital and said, uh, uh, Ted, uh, I think we should put them on the web um, and, and then we sell them and, and, and don't sell them too cheap. Don't get $500 each, but you know, that'll be enough money to have the exhibition. So he wasn't, he was aware that the web existed and he was aware of the opportunities that, uh, that the web provided. So um, I think he might, might be quite pleased actually. <laughs> I was just going to say that, yeah, that is a lot for um, a pretty huge endeavor for one man to take on his shoulders yeah that's a huge burden and yeah so it is sad that we've we've, uh we've community has sort of lost him but i guess at least people will still be able to engage with it after after the fact indeed our next question for you is that we think that there are probably a lot of students who want to engage more with the gallery get more out of it while they're at university and so we're wondering what your tips or thoughts might be on how they can get the, the more out of the gallery than they already are. We're always open. <laughs> <laughs> we hope more people will come. Um, I think uh, what you guys are doing is so important because one of the best ways of getting people into the gallery is word of mouth. And so the fact that you're there as our ambassadors telling people that this is an exciting opportunity and to come into the gallery, it's uh, cool in winter, cool in summer, warm in winter. Um, the coffee's cheap. It's a great environment. You'll meet people. There's always something fantastic to see. And it's right on the corner of the campus. So, yeah, we're hoping that more and more people will just walk through the door. Hopefully, they'll become ambassadors as you guys have become. Hopefully, um, they'll come to our um, culture club events uh, each semester where they have the opportunity to see the exhibition and listen to music being played by students from the conservatorium. Um, we would like the the gallery to be a hub that everybody remembers as a part of their university life. Uh, unfortunately, we know that quite a lot of people go through their whole time at UWA, come out at the end and then say, oh, was there a gallery there? So we have work to do, but we would like as many students as possible to be able to enjoy the experience of coming into the gallery, uh, having fun, meeting people and getting the opportunity to see the world through somebody else's eyes. I guess that, that would be the key selling point then, right? Especially with how um, flat the earth is getting in terms of, you know, globalization has been going on for a while now where it sort of, sort of seemed to be at the peak of it. You know, there's so many people from different kinds of background through the internet or even in person just because people are able to travel so much more that are interacting with, with each other. So it's probably more important than ever for people to have a better grasp of what the world is like through um, the eyes of someone from a radically different background so that they are able to get the most out of their, or not get the most out of, but interact better with them. Sorry, I don't think that's the best way to word yeah, it. But absolutely <laughs> right. look, We have a task to do too, because we need to be able to pre present more artists from different um, cultural backgrounds. The next exhibition that the Burnt Museum is holding is called Expressions of India. Uh, and that is some of the work in our collection in the Burnt Museum, which is um, from from India, obviously. Uh, we've also shown work from Korea. We've shown work from Japan. Uh, we've shown work from uh, Indonesia. We are part of 
this amazing time zone, which if you add in the Indian Ocean region is two thirds of the world's population. That's extraordinary. We haven't at the moment used the gallery as an opportunity to show the wide range of cultural experiences and ways of viewing the world um, that that time zone offers us. So there is a challenge for us. And I think it's, um, it's a great opportunity to open up our doors a bit more. Uh, and we're, we're keen to do that um, because I think, as you say, uh, seeing the world through different eyes and through the different ways that people uh, interact with each other and through the experiences that they have, that's really, really important. I might just interject and ask a question I was told not to ask. <laughs> I've always been curious, um, do you have a favourite colour? Black <laughs> colour. Oh, interesting. Um, my favourite colour changes pretty much day to day. Um, I go on a walk every morning um, around the neighbourhood and I take my phone with me, of course, and I take photographs and play it. And for instance, this morning, the sky was just extraordinary. It was almost like it was bleeding. And I thought, oh, wow, that particular colour of that sort of magentary red, wow, isn't that beautiful? But yesterday, <laughs> it was really soft and delicate pink. And I thought that was fabulous. But then a few days before, it was this golden yellow glow that I just thought was extraordinary. So, yeah, changes pretty much moment to moment, really. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about the world is that it is such a fantastic palette and no matter where you look, you can find colours interacting with each other. You know, you see a red next to a blue and, oh, wow, look at that. That looks fantastic. Yeah. I can confirm that I've gotten the same response from almost every artist I've spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why limit yourself? Mind <laughs> you, let's add Reinhardt, who only used black. Um, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> each to their own each to their own indeed you guys that's been fantastic i've really enjoyed talking with you and very much enjoyed meeting you so um i hope you uh have fantastic careers ahead of yourselves and i'm really grateful that you're engaging your with the lawrence wilson art gallery while you're on campus and i hope that continues after you've graduated as well thanks very much that was really informative quite inspiring. It's yeah. been a pleasure to have the chance to speak to yourself um, and we do appreciate the time you've made for us as well.